What's up, everybody? We are back with another episode of the EX Performance Podcast. This week is just two of your favorite people in the whole world, myself, Chris McNamara, and then uh, my head coach, Jeremy Kane. This week, we're taking it back a little bit. We've had a ton of questions from both our athletes and um, kind of the world at large who've listened to a lot of our podcasts and had follow-on conversations. So we're taking this week to step back from our usual format of having one of our athletes with us. And we're going to answer kind of five or six of our most common questions, or we think the questions that can help the most people right now. So we're going to dig into it. And uh, right now, if you're listening real time, you're obviously experiencing the Corona or COVID-19 pandemic. If you're listening to this at a later date, um, we're sitting here in late April 2020, and we are impacted heavily by the COVID-19 pandemic, shutting down the gym, athletes everywhere having to move into garage gym space and change programming. Even so daily, even like daily lifestyle. So yeah, yeah, a lot of stuff. I mean, just daily life flow. So we got the question with the COVID-19 pandemic, are you making any programming changes for your athletes? I think the the first thing we need to look at is what was your activity level beforehand? Um, there's no direct answer as to what volume, what kind of intensity you should be doing. However, it does need to be, in my opinion, taken into account um, because now is not a time, or you could even utilize this if you're listening to outside of the COVID-19 kind of time frame. Um, anytime you have a, let's call this like a life-altering event, it's not the time to like push harder or like think you have all this kind of time so you could up volume, up intensity, work out more because sending yourself into essentially an immune-compromised position isn't healthy. Um, so for me personally, um, I looked at, or I'm looking at what my athletes are doing beforehand, um, what availability they have to equipment, and then making sure they rather maintain homeostasis, like they can stay on the same track of like, hey, my recovery is the same, my eating is the same, everything's the same with that. If they can't due to work, life stresses, if they're in an area that's maybe more impacted by COVID than we are here in North Carolina, then it's cut back on the intensity and actually just move through the motions and stay healthy that realm, not so much kind of like we're doing with our class program. Yeah. And that's where um, I'm in the same boat too. Like a lot of my individual athletes uh, are fortunate enough to have garage gyms with, you know, enough stuff to make it work. Some have phenomenal garage gyms and they're not (laughs) skipping a beat. They've just got more time to train. Uh, It kind of depends. And then also I factor in like the lifestyle stuff that you're getting into. So you know, uh, myself personally, like I'm having to take on homeschooling a couple hours a day. I'm having to do all these things I wasn't doing before. So I think, um, what I am balancing is, you know, the whole people will say drastic times call for drastic measures. I'm balancing that the other way. Well, I'm going the other way. I'm saying drastic times call for simple measures, right? So people are trying to compensate for just life stress by adding a ton more stress through training. And like you talked about, we're going to compromise the immune system. We're going to risk injury. We're going to do all these things that might not be the best outcome for our clients to no good end. Like all my military yeah. guys, you don't have a date to go to anything right now. So why are you trying to crush yourself? A lot of our comp- our competitors, you know, we're, sh- we're hoping for one in late May, but we don't know. So why are you smashing yourself right now? So personally, what I've done is I've taken this time to, you know, go back to the basics. So a lot of my athletes are going back to pure tempo. And I don't just mean as part of a workout. I mean, every single thing they're doing is pure tempo. Yeah. So we're working on, you know, movement patterns and positional work. 
more than power output. And I think that's my biggest shift is right now we're not adding horsepower. We're trying to maintain. We're trying to get them moving really well and build up the chassis. So that when we come back, man, we're going to layer it on big. And then they're going to wish they had enough quarantine sleep. Yeah, right and now. I think like it's such a good time, I think, to prevent injury and almost fix injury. Like the magic behind a five-second tempo back squat. Like, right? like, <laughs> I, have a, I have a theory, man. I have a theory that we're going to come out of this um, and in a few months, years, whatever, we're going to look back. And I think the overuse injury rate is actually going to spike right now um, because you got a bunch of people with no guidance, right? Not, not saying that they're not capable of training on their own, but when they're bored and they've got a void to fill, usually the answer is more, not better. And so I think, you know, you've got a ton of that, uh, a bunch of people just adding stuff in that they're seeing on social media with no regard to movement quality or patterns. And it's probably going to induce a lot more problems than it's going to help. Yeah. Um, and then we've got the other piece, you know, there's a big behavioral health component going on right now with isolation and everything else. Uh, so some people just, just drown that with volume that their body's not used to. So uh, we're probably gonna see some shin splints, we're probably going to yeah. see some, uh, you know, grip and forearm issues from all the pull-ups and things people are doing. And, and, uh, that's my theory though. And I, and I think something that's important to hit on as well is when you come back from the gym, that's also an opportunity to maybe get injured, right? Like you go two months and this is kind of something I'm leaning more towards our class people with, or if we don't have full gym equipment, some of the individual athletes, if you're not doing your normal back squat cycle, your normal Olympic lifting. And we come in and that first day is a say Olympic lifting day or a back squat day. That does not mean throw on 80% of your old one rep max and let it go. Like that's a time to like, Hey, like let's start fresh and kind of like, yeah, man. build into it and that's something we do on our end from programming but i think too many gen pop and other gyms are yeah. going to do that and it's going gonna... to i've already laid on the gym programming for the first month coming back and i think some of you are going to be upset because i've seen all the memes first day back in the gym everybody maxing out yeah but that is probably one of the most surefire ways to get people hurt so yes we are going to sprinkle in some barbell <laughs> early on we're going to sprinkle in some stuff that people have been missing but right dose right right exercise and everything else which kind of is a good segue. You know, one of your athletes asked a question, you know, how do you choose exercise selection? Like how do you go through that framework of thought or that thought process and how do you dose it for them? So what do you think about that, Jeremy? Uh, so exercise selection and volume or yep. reps and sets. Um, one, it obviously kind of like a recurring theme. It comes down to the goals, right? It's really easy to say, but I think generally you can look at what your sport is or what your, your job is. So, from my competitive CrossFit athlete standpoint, we know they have to, we know the objective measures that they have to be able to do a certain amount of pull-ups, chest to bar, kind of the whole range of activities are out there. So I would say for a competitive CrossFit athlete, um, the world's a kind of endless possibilities. I'm a big fan of the basics. So making sure we're pulling and, and moving in each direction of movement. Um, when we start looking more towards gen pop and then GPP tactical stuff, like, I default to what the athlete wants to move because we talked about before tactical athletes don't even be doing high volume snatches. Like if they want to, I can program it. If they don't want to, there's no real need for it. Um, and so when I build out a week, like let's say it's an upper, it's a, let's say it's a push and a hinge day. Um, so we're doing some push press and maybe some RDL work. I base it off of essentially what phase of training we're going through. If we're going through a strength training, I try to keep most of my strength pieces below 25 reps, higher intensity, more of a, a strength endurance phase. Typically, I'll throw in some rowing, biking into a push-pull squat pattern type 
imam work. Um, I would just kind of emphasize there's no, it's going to be weird to say, there's no right answer, but there's definitely wrong answers. Absolutely. <laughs> like, yeah. <completely> like, <laughs> like there's, there's a million ways to do it. And like each of them are good in their own way, but if you do it incorrectly, then you're going down the wrong path. And, and that's where, you know, this is, this is Sam, if you're out there listening, like um, extremely intelligent guy, very much into the, the science aspect of all this. So, you know, not digging too deep into that. So we'll lose the listeners here, Sam. Um, here's how I do it. Exercise selection is based on what classification athlete is, right? Yeah. Beginner, intermediate, advanced, elite. So that, that starts it. If you're a beginner athlete, you get less options. You're an advanced athlete or an elite athlete, obviously you have more options. Um, volume, dosing, I should say, like volume, intensity, and timing, uh, same thing. Beginner level athlete can recover faster um, because they can't stress the system as much, but that doesn't mean overwhelm them with volume. Yeah. So with a beginner athlete, I will absolutely prioritize quality of movement more based on their assessment on their biggest limiters. Intermediate, advanced, elite. We switch more from what the athlete kind of needs outright to what the sport or job demands are, and we have to balance those things. At the end of the day, though, it doesn't matter if it's GPP, tactical, competitive athlete, you can only move five to five to seven ways, depending on yeah. what you look at. Squat and lunge, push and pull, and, and locomotion or like carry something, right? Yeah. And yeah, you can get into upper push, upper pull, up, you know, vertical, horizontal, horizontal, all those other things, right? But when I look at it, I'm like, okay, can they do this thing? Can an athlete squat? Yes. Can they lunge? No. Well, then we're going to do a lot of movement work on cleaning up the lunge. Squatting, we may keep the same. Now, let's talk volume and intensity. Volume, for me, uh, I pull from a couple different resources and kind of meet the middle ground, right? Like, I'll take Prolipin's chart on one end for, you know, kind of weightlifting and strength stuff. I'll take maybe Dan Baker's chart, Prolipin, I mean, uh, Mike Churchner's chart, some of those other things, and combine those with what I think the athlete can take relative to what they did the day before, the week before, and what they have coming up the, the following week. So it's not outright like blanket, here is three sets of 10 at this percentage yeah. all the time. It is, I'm looking for a rep range on this given day of 30 squat pattern movements above a certain intensity. And then how I dose that may be different on the athlete, different on time of year and what they have available. I think, and then from like an energy system standpoint, I'm a big energy system guy myself. It's kind of where my background comes from. Um, when we get into to that kind of stuff, we need to, as a coach, I always tell people, like, if you're training really, really high intensity, and this is my favorite comment from athletes, like, oh, it looks so simple, but it sucked. Like, that's how it should be, right? Like, like simple movements allow you to move faster, thus getting a dose response that we're looking for. If you are terrible at toes of bars and I want a, just a lactic bath to occur, I'm not giving you high volume toes to bar in the middle of a workout because it's just going to kill, kill your vibe essentially. Mm -hmm. um, versus, you know, if someone like my favorite go-to is just solid kettlebell swings and then jump on a bike and you can mix and match and play with that in, in multiple different ways, but can't really hold back on the, on the central governing system with a kettlebell swing and a bike. It's just kind of all out go. Um, so they're also, Sam, is there a way, there's a way that we work that into like, not only exercise selection, but what your goal is at that moment. Yeah. And that's the balance. Um, and that kind of like, it's kind of a good segue into the next question. One of our athletes asked about neuromuscular efficiency, right? We're talking energy systems, we're talking strength, but there is a balance, right? Neuromuscular efficiency um, to kind of, you know, 
put it down to the simplest level when I look at it is your rate and magnitude of muscle contraction. Okay, so no muscle fires without the nervous system at the same time with a beginner athlete or with someone who is not uh, a good mover, we may have lack of you know coordination or timing. So that's the neuro piece. Um, and then on the other end of that, we may have someone who over or under contracts. We've all seen the person who does a wall ball and looks like they're trying to shot put it to the moon. And so every time they have that sort of um, contraction on something that should be aerobic and cyclical and be able to run it through, now they're inhibiting, um, they're losing power in the long run, but they're also impeding blood flow and everything else and taxing the nervous system. At the end of the day, nervous system is king. And so when I'm looking at an athlete for neuromuscular efficiency, it depends on the task, but I'm looking at how well they can uh, have repeated power output over whatever given time we're looking at, and they don't lose timing, coordination, or magnitude because of fatigue. So that's how I look at it, but it can mean different things to different people. Yeah, though, so I think this kind of stems from the Nick is the guy I got a question from, um, from our first episode. I forget in which context we talked about it, but it was briefly mentioned and kind of skimmed over. Um, along the same lines of that, right, like the way – I kind of look at it for most athletes is testing our ability to turn on muscle, right? So coordination, all that. Um, and if you look at it in terms of like a light bulb, right? Like a new athlete is not going to be able to turn on the light bulb super, super bright. Um, so if we give them, I think the example I used in the first episode was a back squat, max out your back squat, take it down to 85%, hit one like max effort set. Let's just use two avatars. We have avatar on the right does 200 pounds. They take 85%. Uh, that's what, 165? Something like that. 165. <laughs> it's close. Yeah. Uh, 160, 165. Um, and they perform eight reps at that 165 of 85%. Avatar two, they do 200 pounds, take 160, 165, and they knock it out for two reps, right? So what does that mean? That means that athlete two is able to turn the light bulb on so bright that they're like burning out for that one rep max. They have a very high efficiency of turning on motor units. Um, athlete one, on the other hand, that typically the beginner coordination can't really go there yet, can't express that much power. So therefore when they put on their 85%, it's not really a true 85% um, and they're able to do more reps. Now where that comes into, it doesn't, we see athletes like Josie. Josie's an example of she's a, not a beginner athlete, but still has that neuromuscular efficiency of just go really long at like a higher percentage of her volume. So where does that kind of come into coaching standpoint and how I look at it? Um, this is, I think, the typical example of you have people like, oh, you know what? I want to increase my back squat or I want to increase my deadlift. And I do a 5-3-1 or 5-4-3-2-1, whatever you want various small reps want to increase strength like all the old school kind of literature said like you need to do less than five reps to increase strength and they go do their max and not even a pr or like a one pound two pound jump something like that typically that means because if you're doing let's say four three two one you aren't able to fully contract every motor unit strong enough to even get a dose response to get stronger so typically for an athlete that if you were to do this out there, take any lift you want, bench press, deadlift, back squat, 85% after you max out and then let it rip, and you're getting over five, 
typically your strength sessions in my eyes should look a little different in terms of cluster sets, um, six to eight reps tough. Because for those athletes, by the time, let's say you do a three, three, three cluster set, first three sets, they don't feel anything. Second three, starting to get it. But now that last three sets or last three reps of that cluster are going to be super tough and get that dose response we're looking for from an athlete like Chris, who has tons of training experience and can max out really hard. If I said, hey, do a double that Chris does a double on any lift, he's going to take a nap because he can go so hard on a double, if that makes sense. Yeah. And that's where, that's where I think, you know, the individualization piece is key, man. Cause you know, the, the neuromuscular efficiency to me of a beginner athlete or intermediate athlete um, lies in the fact that they, you know, to use your light bulb analogy, they can't turn it on all the way. And sometimes they have an accidental piece where they turn it all the way on and can't shut it off. <laughs> it's like one of those fainting goats, you know? And so like the best athletes in the world are the ones who can, turn it on, recruit all those fibers, fire them at the right time, right intensity, um, and then relax the fastest so they can get back to baseline faster. So when I say neuromuscular efficiency, I used to be, you know, from the school training stuff that I had before, NME tests were, yep, I'm going to load up 85%, do a max effort um, set within a given time frame, and that's my neuromuscular efficiency. But I've had to shift that over the years. So like right now, I mean, you've Jeremy's seen it, some of our other athletes have seen it. I don't do NME tests anymore for squats. I don't do NME tests for other stuff anymore just because my data was too varied. So now I still use it for cleans. Um, you know, I'll have them hit a clean. So on that given day, what their max is and then do 80%. So I'll drop a little bit because the dynamic movement is more power output. And once again, it's a singular data point. So when I'm looking at NME for a tactical athlete versus neuromuscular efficiency for a, a CrossFit athlete versus GPP, they're different things. So the data is interpreted different to me. But, you know, back to the original question, what does it mean to me and how do I use it as a coach? To me, it's how efficient someone moves given a certain task and time domain. And then I take that and filter that into their program. Yeah. So that's back to the original question. Um, kind of a good good segue as well. Rx were scaled in a competition. To me, a lot of it relates back to their neuromuscular efficiency. So when I look at an athlete who is extremely strong mm. and powerful, right? They can fire every fiber of their body all at once and lift the house. But that makes them extremely fatigued. And anytime they have to do higher rep stuff and anything that requires coordination, like being an athlete, um, those are indicators to me on where I would put them. Conversely, uh, going scaled in a competition for athletes who just aren't strong enough at, a, at known demands and benchmark tests that we use, um, but they have good motors, that might be another indicator of RX first scale. And I think for me, the number one thing I go back to is a volume of work. Mm -hmm. So if I look at a volume of work for an athlete, not just Fran, like if I took Fran and looked at Fran for someone, that could be a distractor of their fitness level. Oh, they've got a two minute Fran. Yeah, that's cool, but they've also got a 10 minute mile. Yeah. You know what I mean? So like, <laughs> that's, that's not what it is to me. So I look at that volume of work and then I say, okay, relative to what the open puts out, that is how I tell most of my athletes to go RX or scale. Because a lot of times it's fear in terms of I don't want to lose or I don't want to be seen as a scaled athlete even though they probably are a scaled athlete. So that's the conversation I have. At the end of the day, it's the athlete's choice. Yeah, I mean, it's I mean, pretty much nailed it. I think the only thing I would kind of add or, or point out to an athlete, not even like talk to him about it, but um, 
is the movement patterns we talked about, right? Five to seven movement patterns. Are you able to perform each of those movement patterns? Typically we see, like you can't do a chest bar pull up, boom. Like there's a pulling variation limitation you have. Um, I think oftentimes what happens is people get confused between not being good at a movement and not having it. Mm-hmm. If you just aren't good and when you talk about volume, that doesn't mean you're scaled. That just means you got to work a little bit more and kind of see where you're at in the intermediate or RX field, whatever division the competition has. <clears throat> um, because if you're just not that great at it, then you still compete in the higher division, but you just have to understand where you're at right now. Um, also, you can use pass competitions. Like if you've qualified for something or if you've competed in an RX division before, probably shouldn't go in a lesser division next time. And, you know, we've got some other athletes, interesting freaks who can outlift every athlete. Like, so we're talking CrossFit competitions right now, outlift every athlete in the CrossFit games. You pick a barbell movement, they can outlift them. But then you flip that around and they have to do something with skill and something otherwise. And it's like, they're not even beginner. Like they don't even have it. So that's where it's kind of interesting to look at. And, you know, with all the sanctionals and all these online qualifiers having seven different categories, RX, indie, sort of, sort of RX, elite, advanced. I mean, just you pick the stupid titles that they have now. It's really confusing. And so a lot of times what I will do is, is look at the athletes and say, how many limiters do you have? Okay, if it's one or two, then you need to push up a division and challenge yourself. Um, you know, because I think if you've got no limitations, you're holding yourself back because you don't want to lose. That's also a mental thing we need to work on. And so we had to deal with some of that in Wadapalooza recently. You know, there they had no heavy lifts. You know, they had some heavy deadlifts, but there was no max lift and some other stuff. So if you're just choosing one data point, it might throw you off a little bit. Um, you know, so that's how I would say RX were scaled in a competition. Uh, we're going to switch gears completely. Um, we had a question, nutrient timing, does it matter? Man, there's a ton of rabbit holes I feel like you can go down. Um, <clears throat> but let's first have the basis of it varies per person, right? I know myself, I work out a little bit more fasted. Um, other athletes need to have a meal before they train. I would say general rule of thumb, you're not going to have a huge performance increase in either direction because you ate 20 minutes sooner than you should. You know what I mean? Like, like it's not a, a make or break deal. I think a lot of athletes come up to me like, Oh, like, should I have this at 27 minutes before my workout? It's like, no, you're you miss your focus on the wrong things. Um, but generally 90 minutes out a light carbohydrate and a light source of protein, nothing that's going to sit in the gut should be okay. And should provide you enough training to get through. Now, when it comes to or energy to get through training. When it comes to competition, um, that's when you start looking at past experiences. That's why I think it is important to get into local competitions because then you can practice your nutrients, timing, and because it's different for everybody. Um, but general rule of thumb is in a competition or a workout, we don't want a lot of stuff sitting in the gut. So we need to be able to get blood to the periphery. So heavy meals out the window, um, typically a morning kind of session, your body's kind of rising that cortisol and adrenaline. So there's no real need to eat right away. If you know you, you have a 9 a.m. heat and you can wake up at eight o'clock and get the extra hour of sleep. A lot of my athletes prefer not to eat anything at all. So it just kind of depends off of experience, but paying attention to it. That's when I think it matters. I think if you're just, there's no right or wrong answer. So there's no like perfect timing, but I do think there is an importance to it in terms of, are you performing at your best because of your comfort level? 
Yeah, and I, I can't. I don't have much add to that to add to that. And actually, nutrition is one of my biggest pet peeves to get into because yeah. so many people have misconceptions or not even using the same language. Like when I say nutrition versus what someone just coming into us day one, they think nutrition is. They think supplements. So yeah. we're all in this weird weird boat. So I look at nutrition as preparation. I'm preparing for the workout ahead, and that could mean one I have in two to three hours, the one I have in six to eight hours, or I'm preparing for the next one in 24 hours right after I work out. So if I, I get my workout done and I'm worried about my one 24 hours from now, then I'm going to prepare for that by uh, getting my nutrition yeah, taken care of. And that's all it is to me is nutrition is preparation. So timing does matter, but it's based on what you're preparing for. Something in an hour, six hours, 24 hours, that's different. That's true. All right, so we're going to get into one that, that honestly we could – dedicate entire fields of research to and whole conversations about. And it was um, from a female tactical athlete uh, and competitive CrossFitter about how the menstrual cycle affects training. And I had this most recent conversation with one of my weightlifters. And here's what I'll say. Baseline is that, yes, it absolutely affects the training cycle. When I have a female, I like to know when her, um, you know, when her cycle runs, they can have a variance from 26 to like 32 days. Is she right on 28 days? Some of my endurance athletes don't even have one. So yes, it factors in. At the same time, because of recent events with a lot of our tactical athletes and success they have seen, we have to pay homage to, we wouldn't have survived as a species if it was a drastically different change. So, I mean, women are some of the the, the toughest athletes we have in our house and in the Evolution Athletics umbrella and by far some of the highest performers. Um, and what we do is we work around it. So we don't totally negate it, but we also don't totally cater to um, kind of like the nutrition concept of the perfect time, perfect place, perfect thing based on their four phases of the cycle, right? So here's how I'm going to – I'll keep it simple. I put strength and intensity earlier in the phase, right, early on in the menstrual phase. And as I get into the follicular uh, and ovulation phase, I back that off a little bit and go a little bit more into endurance Pain, cramping, all those things factor in. Yeah. Red blood cells, oxygen carrying capacity, all stuff factors in. Um, and even injuries spike Sub- around subjective ovulation. Subjective data yeah. as well. Like. So I, I don't want to deep deep dive into that because it can be very subjective. I think we have some extremely knowledgeable females we could have on and talk more about this. But to, to keep it very wave tops, um, if I have a female athlete who has to complete d- compete during when her menstrual cycle, menstrual cycle will be, we have no choice but to prepare her for that and reduce um, the fear and things that come with not knowing how she's going to perform in that phase. So, yeah. And then I think just to add on to that, I think it's important as a coach to know that the menstrual cycle is still happening. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> Same thing with the, I mean, with the three H's, right? Happy, horny, hungry, right? Like if, if a female is missing her menstrual cycle, there's a little, tons of things that we could look at as like, going wrong in a program side perspective of maybe too much not enough nutrition under eating um yeah and that's tons of rabbit holes that's where yeah we use three week to four week training blocks anyway roughly 28 days so that's where i kind of try and work it around their cycle um with feedback from them saying yes this worked no it didn't um because a lot of the research out there will be variable based on what you're looking for like strength and endurance is better than this phase but then you look at the strength metrics and it's you know quarter attack squats for a certain amount of time so that's drastically different than full range of motion squats and deadlifts and these these other things so we balance it we listen to our athletes but at the same time we don't try and go completely off the hinges and off the tracks trying to say that we've got it figured out there's way smarter people than us on that 
And, and once again, all of those people were kind of juries out. So yeah. modify the training, definitely take it into consideration. But, you know, at the end of the day, you got to compete for our female athletes, our tactical athletes. They got to perform no matter what day it is. Um, so we need to expose them to training, right dose, right time during that period of their life and when that's happening to them. So we're safe about it. All right. So switching gears. Last one. Kind of a funny one for a man, Rich. Uh, what do you prefer, waffles or pancakes? I'm a big pancake guy. Ooh. Big pancake guy. Ooh. All um, right. Oh, man. I we're going to start. Agree to disagree on this one, my friend. All right. Well, uh, first and foremost, pancakes, right? Get Harris Teeter, going with the gluten-free mix, getting the dairy-free chocolate chip cookies. Lame. That's not even mm. a pancake. We're throwing it all together. We're having a good meal. See, here's here's one. Here's one. I'm a waffle guy. It holds the syrup for you. You dump it on there. <laughs> it holds it for you. They're little cups of deliciousness. You just cut it. It holds the butter. holds all that other stuff. I'll, I'll double up the gluten on my, my pancake or my waffles for you, um, but I'm not a hater on pancakes. I'm pan- just saying, if I had to pick one. You can eat a pancake like a taco. Uh, that's true. <laughs> waffles, you probably do it too. It's grippy. No. <laughs> all right. So that's it for this week, guys. We went through uh, you know five or six main questions, and obviously that last one at the end to keep it kind of light. We would love to hear questions that you have for us. So please send them. Obviously, you can find us on all the social media, just Evolution Athletics NC on the gram, and then Facebook and Twitter. You can find us on there as well. Uh, We'll put links in the bio. But if you got any questions, send them to us. We hope you guys are enjoying this. Next week, we'll go back to our normal format um, with one of our athletes in the room and use their training to guide the discussion. But we appreciate your time, and we will see you guys next time. As always, get better every day. Thank you.